one time, I think it was about 15 years ago, I was working on a project called Foolproof Software. This was some software for Windows 3.1, where we would keep high school students from breaking into Windows machines. High school students would carry floppy disks around, boot disks. And if you wanted to circumvent the protections that were on the library computer, well, you just boot off the disk. And foolproof software's job was to prevent that. Yeah, we wrote a boot sector virus, and we had all sorts of really interesting and clever stuff that was meant to make a library administrator's job foolproof. I was a very junior engineer. I was just getting started in the business. I did okay. And then a new guy started. And he started reviewing my code. And the way that he made his name was he circulated an email called Top 10 Foolish, all caps, bits of code in the foolproof code base. And I think I was probably seven or eight of the top ten. It was extremely challenging. It was not personal. It's my own fault that I was seven or eight of the top ten mistakes. But it certainly was an aggressive and powerful maneuver. It, it introduced a bit of stratego to a what had been up to that point a very fun aspect of, uh, of my young professional life. Was that challenging? Was this programmer challenging, or was it an alpha dog maneuver? I was professionally offended. But was it was it personal, or did he just move me out of my comfort zone? The older I get, 15 years later, 20 years later, I realized that uh, it was probably just a fun way to say there's some problem with the code base. But I sure took it personally. Presumably, if you're doing any job, you think you're good at it. You think you're a good programmer. And the more experienced you get, the less uh, likely you might want to suffer fools gladly. You might not want to spend the time and take the effort and apply the patience that's required for a new person or a non-technical person to, to learn and to get to your level. We've all been mean. We've all snapped. That's the topic of this week's This Developer's Life. Being mean. That was Scott Hanselman with a great story about learning the hard way. We have two storytellers for you today. 
First one is a Microsoft developer. Someone who actually works inside of Microsoft with Scott. The other is a Ruby developer. Someone who is quite outspoken. Someone you've probably heard of before. And fair warning, there is some rough language in this episode. I took out the worst of it, but there might be some left over. I tend to be a people pleaser. I like things tidy. I want everyone to be happy. Kira, who I work with at Microsoft, is a little more aggressive. I've pissed so many people off. That's why all my peers are directors and general managers and vice presidents uh, from, you know, that have been here an equivalent amount of time. I'm not politically correct, and I take hard positions, and you know, and it offends people lots of times. One of the things you quickly learn when you go to work at Microsoft, as I did a few years back, there's a lot of smart people there. Sometimes getting your point across isn't easy. One of the things that I've learned here is um, there are multiple domains to make decisions. Um, and when I first came here, there was one domain, and it was, is this technically cool and elegant? Um, then it became, is this technically cool and elegant, and does it solve a cool and user problem? Um, at some point, we reached, reached a tipping point where the number of MBAs had so diluted the technical audiences here and so diluted the people who cared about the user that it became a big business. Kira's an amazingly gifted developer who finds herself in a position where the company she's been working at for close to 20 years is starting to change in front of her. She's confronted with the situation now. What is she going to do? Does she try and fight back? Change it back into that company she once knew? Or does she change herself? This place is an amazing forge that changes people. I think I've matured here faster than I would have matured in any other environment, just because it is such an aggressive environment, especially early on. It was very aggressive. Now it's more passive-aggressive. Um, and that's kind of interesting. I mean, earlier on, I was very timid because there were geniuses roaming the halls like Todd Laney. You know, I got to work with Todd Laney and he was just this, uh, Todd Laney was one of the original developers of GDI and he wore sneakers and he was unassuming little quiet college kid who just rocked. He knew geometry and math better than any other human being I ever knew. Back in those days, I was very timid because there were these giants, you know, walking the hall. And I was, you know, I hadn't even graduated from, from college, barely graduated from high school, taught myself to code. And so I was competing with these guys who were geniuses. Um, I eventually realized that I had a good understanding of how to communicate with people, understood the technical domain, and, and I'm growing in the business side of it. And so since, and when I walk the halls now, 
I see people who are monodimensional, who are purely business, purely technical, or or purely user. And and so yeah, I'm aggressive now. I think it makes me a um, a dictator, but hopefully a uh, uh, a dictator with higher principles in mind. An aggressive response is completely understandable, especially when you're working at a company for close to 20 years and you see people come in that are in effect acting completely blind to the past, saying, I have a neat new idea that's really going to make us successful. And you say, wait a minute, I've been here. I know what makes us successful. So you do what you do. Put your head down. You say, I'm going this way. You can come with me or you can get knocked over. It's a pretty male-oriented approach to solving problems. Some would say it's even juvenile. So Scott asked Kira, has adopting this aggressive stance caused you any issues being a female? Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of women who sit in meetings and offer to take notes and, you know, do all of that bit, and, and that's not me. I don't do that. You know, I, I think that collaborative thing is wonderful and we need to do it, but... Yes, but I think it's we get foisted into that position the majority of the time. And, you know, we essentially remove ourselves from a seat at the table. You work in a company full of smart, strong-willed people, and you're in a position where you need to get your point across and you've decided you need to be aggressive. There's really two kinds of aggression you can employ. A lot of people think aggression means outwardly loud in your face, but you could also be quiet and unmoving, unwavering in your ideas, and quietly changing the world around you. Sort of a Mr. Miyagi approach is compared to somebody more like a drill sergeant, puts the brim of his hat right in the crease of your brow and shouts in your face. What has Kira decided to do? We called her back and asked her, I think that anyone who's good, and I like to think that I'm good, is um, knows how to switch up skills, you know, for the moment. You know, like if, if your only skill is drill sergeant, then, you know, all your problems look like troops. Um, so I switch up. I mean, there are people who clearly don't enjoy working for me because I know how to turn on drill sergeant. And there are other people who I think are more senior with whom I can have the Mr. Miyagi discussion about, uh, I think it was in fact uh, Chris Wilson, who's now no longer at Microsoft. And we were having this very discussion, you know, um, and he's, you know, just really telling me about uh, what his goals are. And I, I, I said to Chris, you really need to decide whether you're um, James Bond or Jesus Christ. And um, you know, he's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, either you are about standards and web development um, and you're, you're going to, you know, essentially die on the cross for them at Microsoft, or you're going to be James Bond and have a surreptitious uh, agenda that you're not overt with and that you're driving cross-company. 
but you just have to recognize, you know, the outcome of being Jesus Christ. Um, and the day after that, he created his own Twitter account called Fat Jesus. Kira Richardson works at Microsoft. Many, many thanks for your time. Was Mr. Miyagi challenging? Or was he mean? I felt really bad for the Karate Kid. He had to wax on and wax off and paint the fence. But did that help him grow professionally as a Karate Kid? Once again, our next storyteller is no stranger to controversy and being outspoken, causing waves. Although, as Kira might be reacting to things changing around her, our next guest, well, I think he's reacting to things not being shaken up enough. this blog post about how Chad Fowler, uh, the Ruby community organizer, should be, um, well, he, then he was a werewolf. Meet Giles Boquette, our next storyteller. I am Giles Boquette. Uh, I mostly, well, I've been doing a whole bunch of selling videos on my blog and, and making my living as a blogger slash video maker slash information marketer slash... Huckster, I don't know what to call it exactly. For those of you who have never heard of Giles Boquette, he is a prominent speaker in the Ruby community, as well as a blogger and an actor, and he likes to make a lot of music. In fact, he had a thing where he would do a new beat every single day and he'd publish it on his blog. Giles is a very interesting and colorful personality, and I have to tell you, I had a good time talking to him about this stuff. But uh, I, I do believe there's a story here to get back to. Uh, there was something you were talking about, Giles, about a werewolf? There's a game that is frequently played or was frequently played at Ruby conferences in, in 2008, 2007. Um, I, I hope the fat has died down now, I think. Uh, although it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, and the game is called Werewolf. And the purpose of the game is basically to detect deceivers or uh, manipulators through logic. A little explanation is in order here. Uh, Werewolf is a party game, and it is, well, the same game as Mafia, if you've ever played that, where you have a small group of people who are the werewolves, and uh, they are running around inside of a larger group of people who do not know who the werewolves are. 
And it's a logic game. Uh, the werewolves try and pick off people in the larger group uh, one by one. And the larger group needs to, using powers of deduction and logic, figure out who the werewolves are. Turns out it's a lot of fun. In fact, there is a lot of strategy to be employed. Well, as Giles puts it, he turned the game on its head a little bit and decided that he'd uh, get a little bit colorful with the outcome, at least as far as Chad Fowler is concerned. And what I did is I, I turned the mechanisms of the game uh, onto stuff that Chad Fowler had done uh, in public, uh, including things he had said to me. And I was like, look, people, this is really weird. And I ended it with, uh, okay, so I think I've proven that Chad Fowler is a werewolf. Therefore, we should kill him. Something to clarify quickly. We're not talking about actual homicide here. This is actually part of the game. Giles was carrying the game out of the arena. So there's that sort of line between comedy and horror. And I basically, I intended to produce a comic effect by, um, you know, enumerating uh, a ridiculous amount of violence that should be done to Chad Fowler to kill him. Um, and unfortunately, this was taken very literally um, and upset a lot of people. And I have to say, for all your podcast listeners, that um, this was a colossal mistake that I, that I can't really recommend. Uh, and the colossal mistake of it wasn't actually the getting banned from... RubyConf. It was the negativity, um, just the the bad vibes of it. Um, but it, it really wasn't intended to be quite that awful. Ah, yes. I don't think anyone with a blog would be a stranger to the notion of a post gone awry. We end up offending people. You do that often enough, and all of a sudden, you're a mean person. That's what I asked Giles next. Do you get called mean often? Uh, yeah, I think I probably have. Um, people, uh, yeah, there, there's all sorts of things that uh, people have said about me online, you know, dick, douchebag, jerk, toll, stuff like that. Um, so I would say the answer to that question is definitely, definitely yes. Um, in terms of, like, how I'm seen in, in the, the dev community, it's interesting because it varies. Um, there are some people who think, oh, he's really funny and he, he shuts people down. And there are some people who think he's really funny, but he's you know, just too aggressive. And there's some people who think, oh, you know, he's horrible and he's evil. Um, and in terms of what that means to me, uh, to be honest with you, on the one hand, I feel as if I should be nicer to people. Um, I, I often regret uh, getting uh, angry at times. Uh, but I don't really care that much because I kind of go out of my way to, uh, like I have a rule with trolling, right? Like if you do anything that is obviously trolling where you're kind of fanning the flames of a debate or picking a fight or getting attention, you know, the rule is to provide something useful, you know, that is like a gift in in the rant, right? And if there's some rant about, you know, this person's grammar is atrocious and they, they can't string a sentence together, or, you know, which happens from time to time, um, I, I find a way to segue from that into something, you know, useful.
If you read Jal's blog long enough, you will come across a couple of posts where you'll see exactly what he is talking about here. One of my favorites of his is one called Coding Horror Proves That Good Is Good Enough. Of course, Coding Horror is Jeff Atwood. In one of Jeff's articles, he wrote the line, I am stunned, but not entirely surprised. And I remember reading that myself, thinking, I don't know if that really makes any sense. Whatever. Giles took that as a point, and he's decided to start there, rip Jeff apart on his grammar, but then segue into a larger point, talking about Kennedy's rule that good is good enough, and going on to make a philosophical statement about programming. This is Giles' style. Lead with a fist. I wrote a blog post called Why Reddit Just Doesn't Mean Shit, right? Because I, I wrote something controversial and people were like, my God, oh, no, no, and there's all these, all these like angry, furious comments and, you know, people just like outraged that I had said like debuggers don't matter or something like that. Uh, and then I went on to show a graph which actually substantiated the idea that Reddit doesn't mean shit. And what it showed is that the ginormous spike in um, perceived attention that uh, my blog took when this big flame war erupted over this controversial thing did not actually correlate to a gigantic spike in hits, right? The number of people who were actually coming to my blog to read, you know, or to discover something useful or whatever it was, uh, was much higher some, sometime maybe two weeks previous, earlier in the month, over some completely unrelated blog post. Um, and, and what I took from that is basically, you know, the, the, the big disputes are not necessarily things that even are useful to people, right? Because if it's useful, if it's interesting, they link to it. So, you know, the broader lesson there, right, is that when I put like a provocative or aggressive blog post out there, I, I always try to combine it with, but you know, an insight, like here's something I learned, here's some actual research, here's something that you can use, uh, here's, you know, even just like an awesome web page that they should be looking at instead. So he's not doing it for hits on his blog, and he certainly doesn't seem to care too much if people get upset with him. He does like to impart good information, basically teach people things. What in the world is going on here? This is a bit of a mystery. Why does Giles write these posts? Why does he incite people the way he does? And I am not violent and dangerous. I'm really a sweet, like, teddy bear, you know, (laughs) although... I don't know. I mean, when, like, 20 different people tell you you're not a teddy bear, you should probably listen to them. I don't know. I'm trying to actually, like, turn a new leaf and be an unranting person. As Giles himself mentions, occasionally when he goes off on his blog, it can be entertaining. But it's also incredibly disabling when you're trying to get your point across. So how does he do it? Speaking at a conference, for instance... Or if he's just trying to have a nice, friendly debate with someone he meets on the street, how do you get your point across to someone who might look at you and say, you're kind of a douchebag? I try to avoid those situations because um, of pricing, actually. Um, the The same principle that applies to pricing applies to communication. If, if you're pricing yourself high, you're going to get better clients. Um, I, you know, you know this, right? This is something that happens. If you price yourself high, you're going to get better clients. It's just how it works. Um, 
the same is true with the information, right? So if you're, if you know, the supply and demand situation where you're trying to help someone who doesn't want to be helped is not good, right? If you're like, here, I can show you how to be better. I don't want to be better. I want to keep sucking. Let them keep sucking. You know what I mean? The only people who like to hear that their code is bad are people who are trying to get better, right? Those are the only people you want to associate with in the first place. I mean, the, the sheer amount of demand for technology work like programming is so overwhelmingly vast that if if you don't like kind of set yourself apart uh you're going to end up working on mediocre projects right and that'll that'll screw you over it actually uh it, it kind of makes you stupid Right? If you're if you're battling away with like some legacy code, it 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 trains you in bad habits, which is not actually the same thing as making yourself less intelligent. But in terms of the only measurable metric, which is the work you produce, it has the same result. Because if you've adopted bad habits, your code is going to suck, right? And as far as anybody can tell, you it's going to be this person's a bad program. So it's important to just, you know, separate yourself from people who don't want to get better because if you go up to someone like uh you know i don't know one of the one of these rock stars and you tell them dude you know nothing personal but your code sucks right they're going to want to know exactly what you mean right and either you're going to convince them to some degree in which case they're going to thank you right or you can have like an endless conversation you know about it and I mean, I've seen, you know, plenty of these things at conferences where, you know, two people who are both worth listening to disagree on some point of code and every other programmer, you know, you know, they they just gather around to hear, you know, what's being said. perfect sense people who want to listen are by definition easier to talk to what happens to giles when he is faced with the people who don't really want to listen the people as he says that want to keep sucking so in terms of you know if i was in that situation and i had to do it um well what i would do actually is i would look for something that people in that situation suffer from right because, you know, if you, if you tell people, look, your code sucks and, you know, it, you're just bad at your job, right? They're going to be like, how dare he? You know, they're going to be mad, right? But if you're like, this is a common pain point, right? How many of you guys have experienced this? And they're like, oh, God, me. Oh, it's the worst, right? Suddenly you've got them all united on something that they all want to solve, right? And then you can say, it's built into the way you're doing your job right? Because X, Y, Z, right? And then if you show them, you know, it's built into the way you're doing your job, you're creating this pitfall for yourself. They can be like, oh, so all I have to do is change what I'm doing and I can avoid that pitfall. And then you're going to get that same separation between the people who actually do something to solve their problems versus the people who don't, right? But it'll be manifested in a much more peaceful way, right? Because the people who don't do anything to solve their problems will say, oh, that's a good idea but I probably won't be able to do it. Whereas the people who do do stuff to, to fix things, 
we'll start working on it. It's also easy to write people like Giles off as rabble-rousers or troublemakers or people who might be a bit too full of themselves, for lack of better words. Yet when asked about a difficult situation, trying to get your point across to someone who may or may not care, that was a remarkably diplomatic answer. And so I asked Giles, you have diplomacy. That was a great answer. When do you decide you're going to turn on your diplomacy versus turning on the venom? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question. Because what I want to do is actually be more diplomatic. But the problem with diplomacy is it requires a lot of patience. Um, you know, whereas if you go on the attack uh, and <laughs> then you fall back to diplomacy, um, sometimes it works and sometimes it costs you friendships. So um, I have to admit, I, I can't really recommend going on the attack as much as I do. Um, I would say... In practical terms, it's, it's pretty emotional. I mean, you know, sometimes I just get pissed off and I just say what comes to my mind. I, I, I have many, many times said things at the wrong time or, you know. So, basically, I, I, I aim to be di diplomatic uh, and sometimes I fail. And other times, you know, this is something I'm, I think I'm doing better at. But other times I've set out with the assumption that everybody aims to be completely fair and is only interested in the logic of the situation. Um, what I have learned is that that is definitely not the case, right? People are not, by default, going to judge a situation between people entirely on its merits. And if you, if you bring up stuff that particular people are doing, it can turn personal very, very quickly, uh, so much so that, you know, what might have been logical moments before goes out the window. It seems like Giles is struggling to answer this question. It's because he is. Using diplomacy requires an immense amount of patience, something that, as developers, well, we are a little short on. It's not because we're bad people. It's just because we're busy. Trying to solve problems, our brains are 100% devoted, usually to the task at hand. When someone comes in and diverts our attention, well, patience just isn't readily there for most people. If you have children, you probably know the value of acquiring the ability to be more patient. Figuring it out, you do it for your children. But how do you do it for yourself? How do you just decide one day, I'm going to be a more patient person? What if you're just flat out afraid of what you can be and who you can be? You don't have patience. I mean, I would say you go for the diplomatic approach as often as possible, but that is, you know, because I have this like wild, undiplomatic beast like inside me that I'm like keeping on the leash half the time. So I don't really know the answer to that. It's something I wrestle with myself. I believe we all wrestle with that problem. I don't think anybody has as much patience as they wish they had. But this actually brought to mind the question that we asked Kira earlier about Mr. Miyagi versus a drill sergeant. I was curious about Giles' case because 
A drill sergeant isn't necessarily a patient person. And, uh, well, Mr. Miyagi, I suppose, isn't either. So I asked Giles this question, and he told me about a third-grade math teacher he had who was actually very, very strong and tended to treat the children as, well, troops. He was a bit of a drill sergeant. Giles had this to say about the experience. No, it was terrible. I mean, I did, I got into like, you know, good math classes in my high school where I was like a little ahead of the curve, but I hated, absolutely hated it. And, you know, um, I would say that that one math teacher in third grade, like ruined math for me until I was like 17 and like rediscovered it. That guy was a dick. (laughs) Things like that that make me think that I just shouldn't, you know, that I shouldn't be so mean to people. There we have a bit of a paradox. Yet you know your effect on other people all too well because it has been done exactly to you. It doesn't feel very good. This is an interesting thing. It's not a trait that is shared by people who are just inherently mean. It's shared by everybody. If you have children, as I mentioned before, you probably know precisely what I'm talking about. You probably remember hearing the exact words that you say to your own children. You remember the effect they had on you. So I asked Giles a little bit more about his childhood and if he had any other authority figures or influences that pushed him along through school. I essentially just wanted to know, what was he like as a kid? When I, when I, was, uh, when I was a kid, like, you know, arguing was like my favorite thing to do. Everyone thought I was going to grow up to be a lawyer. Uh, and to be honest with you, like, I don't lose very often. The, the people who are able to, you know, get anywhere in an argument with me, um, I usually learn something, either about arguing tactics or, you know, ideally about whatever it is we're arguing about. Um, yeah, I, I mean, arguing for me is, is a lot of fun. <laughs> so, but I, I have never had, like, a teacher who was mean to me and you know, in a productive way. Um, and I've never had a coworker who was mean to me in a productive way. And really, like, the number of coworkers I've had who, who could punk me, like, technologically, um, is not that high. And I have had a number of, tech, uh, of uh, coworkers who thought they could, and, you know, I, I just wanted them to try so I could set things straight. A very interesting psychological stew is you have a person who is clearly very bright, has a bit of bravado, loves to argue, and also enjoys being provocative as well as diplomatic. You put all that together and then throw it into a team environment. I asked Giles the Miyagi versus drill sergeant question we asked Kira earlier. Which one would he rather work for? And had he worked for either one in the past? What happened? Honestly, I would I would go for a different option. I just want um, you know a dialogue, right? Because the Mister Miyagi is is good, but would be better if you could get you know feedback, right? I mean, someone like Mister Miyagi who has wisdom that you don't have, you want to be able to ask them as much as you can in order to get that wisdom from them and understand what their point of view is, so that you can you know develop wisdom as well. I think we'd all rather have dialogue instead of yelling or provocation. But when we're younger, 
and uh, full of bravado and enjoy arguing. Sometimes it takes a bit of a big stick to get through. Sort of a drill sergeant mentality or the unwavering patience of a Mr. Miyagi. So I asked Giles, I said, during some point in your life, you must have had a situation where someone basically slapped you upside the head or something to point you in a positive direction. We've all had it. We all have a bit of a comeuppance, as they say. What was yours? Or did you have any times like that? So I do totally relate to that. Um, It it didn't come from like one overbearing personality. Uh, It came from an environment. I I wonder about this, actually, because I, you know, I thought about it. And one of the best, like, job experiences I ever had, I felt completely unqualified for. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I got in here. And then I felt that I, I had to do something to prove myself. So I worked really, really hard to prove myself and created, you know, I took the project that I had and I rewrote it and made it much, much better, right? And partly it was because I was driven to prove myself. And after that point, people were like, oh, he's the guru. He knows everything about this language. And, you know, because I was young and inexperienced, I believed that, right? People were saying this about me and I believed it about myself. I felt, you know, like I was, you know, not qualified to be a programmer because I hadn't studied, you know, I didn't get a CS degree. Uh, and, you know, it was one of my first programming jobs. Um, and, and being motivated to work that way uh, really led to good work. This is the second time we've heard this. Kira said the same thing. Self-taught. Walk the halls. This place was a different place back then. I remember just being humbled by everything around me. The environment kicked me in the butt and I had to learn which is a rather intoxicating thing for someone as smart as Kira and as smart as Giles as programmers we tend to be fairly bright people I mean we figure things out for a living that's what we do we use our brains what happens when we figured it out when our quest to get better ends because we're better things that used to be hard to solve with whatever tool we're using just aren't hard to solve anymore We know the answers rather quickly. What do we do then? The answer is we get bored. Smart people get bored. They do weird things. If you're a provocative, smart person that likes to argue, maybe you're going to write some contentious blog posts. Maybe call someone a werewolf and get in trouble for it and get banned from a conference for life. So I asked Giles about this. The act of learning or striving keep him motivated directed to calm him down when i asked giles that he told me a story about a pit bull that he used to have that now lives with his parents and how he used to manage the aggression in his pit bulls i thought his answer was fascinating in pit bulls they fight but the way to prevent them from fighting is to just exercise the hell out of them what i did to keep this pit bull from fighting is i just exercised the living crap out right i like i made her jump for like half an hour just jump up and down for half an hour, right? Because you can do that with a dog because they're not too bright, right? But the point is, you know, they, they get aggressive when they, they need exercise. It's a way to get, you know, to, to work things out. And I think the same is true for programmers. Yeah, it's, it's boredom. And what I try to do now is, you know, I, I, I haven't mastered it, not by a long shot. But what I try to do now is if I see that kind of aggression coming, I think, okay, this is something that I have to, like, rise above or put aside or move beyond, you know, because 
there's nothing that I actually want to be like the moral police of, right? That's not who I am. You know, I don't own a policeman's uniform. I haven't gone to the police academy, and there's a reason, right? So whenever I find myself trying to be like the moral police and be like, you shouldn't do this, this is unethical, or, you know, this person said this, but it's complete horseshit, right? You know, on the one hand, I know a lot of people find my rants entertaining, so I, I don't want to hold back too much, but I want to pick the right targets. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm just beating up on people or picking fights unnecessarily. And and when I find myself doing that, what I do or what I try to do most times is find what it is that I want to move beyond, you know, that will, that will excite me without me having to be like Mr. Agro dude. You can read more about Giles and what's happening in his world at GilesBoquet, B-O-W-K-E-T-T, dot com. Many thanks to Giles for his time today. It's been episode four of This Developer's Life, sponsored as always by TechPub, purveyors of fine screencasts. If you want to learn something interesting and new, head over to TechPub.com with a new series on Rails 3. You want to learn neat stuff like Rails 3 and Sinatra, Entity Framework, and so on, save a forest watch a screencast my name is rob connery joined today by scott hanselman who gave us the opening story about the top 10 ways to be foolish in the foolproof application look out thank you so much for listening